Today's read, A Moment of Silence, Midnight Three by Sister Soldier. Chapter 12, Coach Vega, A Reflection, A Blacked Out, Hand-Built Maserati Royale, Crazy, Of course it caught my attention. Most exotic things do. Made in Italy. And so pretty, it couldn't be called a car. Car is too bland of a word. This V8 engine vehicle goes from standing still at zero to 100 miles per hour in four seconds. At top speed, it's hitting almost 200 miles per hour. I dig this selection because it's unique and not the obvious choice. The designers only made about 55 models, custom designed to limited order. Not just anyone could copy. Mainly only kings, presidents, premiers, prime ministers, and princes, and for us in America, probably only big money athletes, ballers and hustlers, or elite entertainers in the top, top level, top echelon, yet it was parked curbside in Brooklyn in the exact spot where I agreed to meet up with Coach Vega. I was 100% certain that he wasn't behind the wheel of that machine, and if he was, I'd expect a SWAT team to drop down from the rooftops to surround, swallow, and arrest the community coach for impersonating a millionaire. I was standing directly across the street and staring at it. Clutching my basketball in my right palm, I was paused at the red light. When it flashed green, I didn't move with the everyday walkers. So many beautiful things, I thought to myself. Try not to lust them. A small, mixed crowd was accumulating on the side of the car like they were waiting for autographs. Pedestrians passing by would jerk to a stop like they were suddenly shocked. And in Brooklyn, the borough of Cool were all new. Not to look too hard at anyone or anything, lest you get roughed up, razored, or robbed. Everyone stood still staring. They weren't dazed enough to touch the vehicle, though. I know that's right. I was looking around for Vega. He was late. I didn't see no floral shirts or smell no loud men's cologne, so I knew he wasn't in the area. The driver's side window lowered a quarter of the way. A hand waved me over. I recognized the Rolex, a mean-ass alligator band on a Louis XIII joint. I signaled him to pull out and ride straight. His engine switched on, humming. I crossed then walked past the vehicle. It was caught at the red light, two blocks down. He pulled over to the corner where I stood. His passenger window eased down. He dipped his head. Get in, he said. I got a meeting with Coach Vega, I said, my five fingers gripping my basketball. Is that why you left? He asked me calmly. I didn't say nothing. Truth is, I was mesmerized by the burnt orange thick leather interior. 
the woodwork, the curves and figure, and the overall plushness of his ride. Now he was making a call. I never knew anyone who had a phone in their car, not even my father. He pushed a he pushed a cobalt blue Rolls Royce, or should I say he owned one. His southern Sudanese homeboy driver chauffeured him around. Here, Ricky Santiago handed me his phone. I was still standing outside. Young money, I heard Vega's voice say. Congratulations, you got a face-to-face with the owner. I'm just the manager. Make me look good, he hung up. Get in. It's business. Time is money, you know, Santiago said. Basketball business, I asked. That's the only kind of business you and me have right now, he said. I reached to open the door. Didn't want to dirty up the detailing or even put my hand or fingertips on it. I got in. Good choice, he said as he pulled off. Speeding up the FDR drive, the ride was immaculate. Only the hum of the powerful engine pierced the silence. Santiago exited on the east end of 42nd Street, hugging the ramp at high speed, racing up 1st Avenue in the direction of the United Nations. I thought to myself, money-making Manhattan territory. Of course, I knew those streets and shops and fashions well. I reached them by train on the regular. I've walked down every block from 1st Avenue all the way to the West Side Highway, the jewelers and boutiques low to the high end. I had been through them all. It was clear that the car had a system, but he didn't play no radio or no cuts from his personal music library. If he was waiting for me to say something, that wasn't going to happen. He must have had his reason for bumping Coach from our meetup and placing himself in the driver's seat instead. You don't talk much, he said. I didn't reply. Didn't think his observation needed a confirmation. He smiled, then made a sharp turn onto 47th Street, the money block, and into a narrow driveway which led down to a garage. He parked in a corner pocket spot marked reserved. Let's go, he said. We walked up to a private elevator that he used a key to control. Inside, he pushed L for lobby. The door opened into a marbled-out, clean, chandeliered area. More importantly, it had two armed security guards, a reception desk, and a sign-in book on a marble podium. As he advanced... I stopped walking and stood to the side playing the wall. He looked back, smiled, and said, I'll be right back. I nodded. He tapped the counter of the reception desk, and the female attendant smiled at him. The guards acknowledged him, and he pointed to me, then turned back to them and pointed to his chest as though to say, He's with me, then disappeared. Twelve minutes later, he came back through walked right past me and I followed we were back in the Maserati moving up the FDR all over again 
Soon as he exited down the Dykeman Street ramp, the sirens sounded and the lights started flashing. Police, pull it over, they announced. He raised his eyes to his rearview mirror, but looked calm and unaffected. Meanwhile, my nine was pressing on my spine where I had it tucked. Stay still, he said. A knock came to the driver's side window as I watched a second cop creeping up on my side through my side view mirror, his weapon drawn. I knew I was in a dangerous situation. Not prone to panic, I remained calm. Santiago lowered his window. The cop lowered his head to peer in as he said, license, registration, and insurance card. Then the cop's grimace broke and he retreated. He stood up straight, saying to his partner whose finger was wiggling on the trigger, damn, it's Ricky. His partner's tensed up muscles relaxed and he broke out in admiration for the car. How's the family? Santiago asked the cop on his side. Better than ever, the cop said. Well then, that's all that matters. I'm gonna let you check it out. I know you want to, Santiago said to the cop and eased out of the vehicle. I looked to my right. The cop on my side had taken a step back. I got out also. We were four men. If three are standing, I'm not sitting. The cops were moving around the Maserati just sweating it as Santiago reached in and popped the trunk. There was nothing in there but a jack and spare tire and a folded Maserati branded car cover. It was obvious the vehicle was brand new. Seemed like he drove it off the lot right before meeting up with me. Then they were all three talking shit like old friends as they were looking beneath the hood of the car in awe. I wasn't up front and checking beneath the hood and chatting. I stayed, standing on the passenger side. The cop, who had crept up my way, then had one eye under the hood and the other watching me. How's your man? I heard him ask Santiago. Then he nodded his head in my direction. Need me to run his license, fingerprints, check his record, or his credit, he said with a half smile. Santiago's friendly tone and face switched to solemn. Don't talk like a rookie, Stubbs. If he's my man, he's good. You know the drill. The other cop laughed to break the tension, and his partner forced out a chuckle. He's a ball player. Put him up against one of any of your guys, anytime. You want to make a wager, he asked. My team versus the PAL's best squad. No, Ricky, the word is out. You win all the wagers, the cop laughed and put his hand on the car. This is the evidence, the cop said. Back in the whip, Santiago pulled off. As he did, he pressed a button and a compartment opened, revealing his Smith & Wesson. You want to lay something in here? He asked me. Nah, was all I said. He closed it. On Dykeman, he double parked, got out, and entered a building. I got out when he did and just played the street corner, waiting. Four Spanish-looking dudes walked up. 
two from out of the building Santiago entered and two who exited a building from across the street, each of them posted up, seemingly securing all four corners of the Maserati. They were serious-faced, solid-looking, older men. More than that, I didn't see any of them exchange any words with Santiago, just automatically got on post. I entered the corner store to buy a bottle of water. I was looking in the cold case. They had everything except water, a bunch of small cloudy plastic bottles filled with blue water, green water, yellow water, crazy cans of unfamiliar brands of sodas and flavors and drinks, but no real water. I closed the case. As I was walking up the aisle towards the register, the phone rang loud like a house phone. Take it, the man at the register said, extending the receiver to me. I walked out, spinning the ball on my fingers. I was killing time, thinking whether or not I should jump on the train and head back to Brooklyn. Maybe this cat Ricky thought his time was money and mine ain't. Now the store man was out front from behind his cash register and standing outside on the street beside me. Santiago, he said to me like it was some kind of password. I didn't respond. Then, phone, he said, and pointed his thumb at the store, letting me know to come back inside to pick up a call. Don't leave. Give me seven more minutes, Santiago's voice said over the phone. I handed it back to the store man, who had returned to his place behind the register. I wondered how Santiago knew I would leave. I checked the, I checked he had manners. Good for him. I take men who make other men wait, selfishly or needlessly, and without word or apology, as disrespectful. I didn't like standing still in an unfamiliar territory, but I was clear that whatever the case, this was Santiago's territory. I couldn't figure how a Brooklyn cat could have the reach of controlling some uptown Manhattan blocks, a couple of cops, some store owners, and even the dudes that stay hugging the block. I was thinking, it's interesting how a bunch of older dudes, like the ones guarding his car, who had plenty of time to come up and establish themselves, can have nothing. Instead, they were watching a cat like Santiago, who was in his mid to late 20s, having everything. I'm at least 10 years younger than Santiago, I know. At the same time, in 10 years, I plan to have 10 times more than what Santiago had. Not out of greed, but out of the fact that if I plan right and work hard and live right, then the finest things in life should be what I have earned and secured and provided for my family. He wasn't carrying anything visible when he got out of the car and entered the building. He wasn't carrying anything visible when he returned either. We already got pulled over once. If it happened again, it might not go in his favor. So I paid attention. I already knew we were riding dirty got guns, his and mine. I could handle that. I wasn't game for drugs, though. Didn't want to be in a car with someone transporting. I didn't get that feeling from him at the start. And 
since he popped the trunk and it was empty and nothing was in the car but him and me and my basketball and our burners. I'm straight. Let me keep these out, he said. He placed his license and registration and insurance card on the dash. These boys pulled me over just to get a close look at the ride, he said. It sounded true. Last time I'm going to ask you, do you want to put your piece away before we hit the highway? Behind the shade of the blackened windows, I pulled it out, wiped it down with a washcloth from my back pocket, hit the button I saw him hit the first time, and laid the nine in the compartment and shut it. Good choice, was all he said. The East Harlem River was below me now. We crossed the George Washington Bridge into the state of New Jersey. I had been to Jersey before. My first wife's Japanese-American side of her family lived there in Inglewood Cliffs. I was studying the highway exit signs and mile markers along the way out of habit. When I travel in, I always need to know my way out. A man never knows which way a situation might flip, yet a man should know his way out alone of any place he went into, regardless of how many were with him at the start. Rely on no one else. About to hit your exit, Santiago said over his car phone. Hold on, he said to me, and his spaceship shot to 180 miles per hour. Suddenly, from a left side entrance, a Lamborghini sped out in front of us and almost went into a tailspin. Santiago pulled to the right lane and overtook him until the Lamb driver caught control and accelerated so rapidly it was like he was preparing for flight. Both vehicles sped down a two-lane highway marked Palisades Interstate Parkway neck to neck for a few miles both cars battled and then curved off to the right and onto a one lane winding highway of hills route 9w still the maserati and the lamborghini fought to ride side by side in one lane on a two-way highway that had oncoming traffic outdistancing one another by inches off and on the high-speed race was interrupted by random slow drivers who slowed down even further to get a quick rear-view glance of the exotic cars only to be swerved around, dodged, and left in a fog. Weaving around same-lane drivers and oncoming traffic, we slowed to about 80 miles per hour and skidded to our right into a long, steep, and hidden driveway. Santiago in the first position, and the Lamborghini in second. In the intensity of the speed and gravity that pushed me back into the contour of the custom seats, all I had read clearly was a highway sign marked, Welcome to New York. I was thrown off by how we went from Brooklyn to Manhattan to New Jersey, rode past Inglewood Cliffs and Alpine, and now within minutes we're back in New York again without making a U-turn. But this ain't one of the five boroughs of New York, I said to myself. It was a hidden place, a narrow route surrounded by beautiful trees and overlooking the water. Santiago jumped out. I hesitated. Should I push the button and grab my nine? Nah, it didn't seem like a beef. It seemed like a race me and Amir would have 
if we had our driver's license and we could cop ourselves two exotic cars. I got out. How's business, Santiago said to the other driver, but he was still gasping from the adrenaline rush. You tried to kill me, the man said. Why would I do that, Santiago answered easily. I can't run the shop. They laughed like friends. This is the man I told you about, Santiago said, and nodded toward me. His name is Midnight. Midnight? Meet Alistair. If I take you to the court right now, could you do it again? Alistair asked me. Do what? I asked. They laughed. I didn't. A humble Brooklyn dude, huh? That don't even go together, Alistair commented. But he still didn't tell me what he was talking about. If he wanted to get a game up, I was down for that. It seemed like they had money to burn. They definitely didn't give a fuck if they banged up two cars at $250,000 each. Shoot long with your eyes closed. And let me see the ball swish in the net. No rim, Alistair said to me. Then I remembered. That happened in the last game I had played for the Hustlers League the night before I caught a flight and headed out to Tokyo. I smiled. That was all momentum. I was feeling the heat and I had the black team rocking on my side to get in that type of rhythm. You woke him up, Santiago said to Alistair. This cat wouldn't even get in my car until I said the magic word, basketball. This cat didn't say one word from Brooklyn to Manhattan to Jersey to New York. He didn't even ask me where we was going. I had 180 miles per hour. This cat didn't blink, grip the handle, vomit, or tell me to slow down. That's the kind of cat who's good for the team. All heart, Alistair said. Then he pissed on his compliment to me by saying, but this cat did disappear from the black team for more than a few weeks. I didn't say nothing. His words were true. That silence lets me know he disappeared for something serious, Santiago said. True, I confirmed. Well, is it all cleaned up? Alistair asked with a stern stare. You got something to do with the black team? I asked him, since he was getting too comfortable in the conversation with me. Whoa! If you see a man standing beside me, that's my man. He's good, Santiago told me. I know he got us to be undefeated, but this cat, in his eyes, he's undecided. Alistair warned Santiago about me. I checked that this was Alistair's rhythm. He says something good, then he cancels it with something foul. It didn't matter to me. I didn't trust him or like him either. It was just a sense that I had as soon as I met him, a feeling. You think so? Santiago asked him, but it seemed like they were both waiting for me to make some type of explanation or decision. Guns, Alistair said, pulling out a three fifty-seven Magnum. Or basketball. Are you a gangster? A hustler? Or an athlete? Can't be all three. 
Well, actually you could, but it usually doesn't work out in the end. I'm a businessman who plays basketball. It's a game, but it doesn't come first, I said. I like that, Santiago said. What comes first? A man shouldn't say what comes first. If it's in the first position, it's close to his heart. I don't know you dudes like that. To let you close to my heart? I thought we were here to talk about if I'm in or out of the league. Or to play basketball. Either way, I understand. And I appreciate the ride and the race. That was nice. I said, honestly, they laughed. And Alistair eased off of his aggressive path. You're in, but it's more than a game to us, Santiago said. We don't do any of our business halfway. Basketball is one of our smallest hustles. Still, it's important. Since you say you're a businessman, you should understand that too. So what are you saying? I asked in an even tone because I really wanted to hear the bottom line. Can you function in a team? Alistair asked me strangely, I thought. How we run our business is like this. Every man has to carry his weight. That means every man has to come strong and stay strong. Every man has to show up. We're each interlocked into one another. If you don't show or if one of you drops the ball, so to speak, it means you are shifting your weight onto the next man's back. Now he has to carry himself and he has to carry you, Santiago said. I carry myself. No one carries me, I said calmly. On a team, even if you are our starting star player, you're only good if you don't act like you're the star. If you can make each member struggle to play at your same level and if you can keep up the morale of your men, Also, come on time, show up every time, play hard, win games, Santiago said, then watched me. If you can't agree to that, I understand, but let us know now so we can redistribute your weight for the playoffs coming up. If you can't guarantee that, there's no sense in coming back to the league. The team is just now successfully adjusted to your not being there. He concluded. You're right, I admitted. 100%. I love the game. I respect the team. And I'm grateful, Santiago, that you have the league. Word up. And your decision, Alistair asked me. Let's give him some space. Some of my greatest thoughts occur when I'm driving alone on the open highway, Santiago said. Yeah, and your Maserati, I said, and smiled. He tossed me the keys. Take it for a ride, he said to me. No license, no registration, no insurance, I said, mimicking the cop. That's why I'm in the junior league, I reminded him. It's all on the dash. Use mine, he said. I looked at him. He was straight-faced and serious. I didn't think for one minute I could get away with using his ID if I got pulled over. I was tempted to drive anyway, yet I couldn't imagine making even a small mistake. I had only ever driven a motorcycle and a car a few times at ages five and six, seated in my father's lap, 
that doesn't count as me driving. Is this a test? I thought on it further. If it is a test, who's testing me? Is it only Santiago and his man, or is it a bigger test from the most high? Nah, I'm good. Good looking out, though, I said. Go ahead. It's yours anyway, Santiago said, and his man was studying my reactions. You said you have a court, right? Let me get a game. Me versus me. One game, and I'll let you know where I stand. On the court is where some of my greatest thoughts occur, I told him. Right this way, Alistair said, leading both of us downhill on a steep driveway. The various sports cars parked in a line were more expensive than the house, a two-story joint with aluminum siding and shutters. I hate aluminum siding. It looks weak, flimsy, and temporary. If a strong wind came along, our new home in Queens was all brick, not brick face. That's why I bought it. When Alistair opened his garage, a red Ferrari was unveiled. We each walked right by it like it was nothing. We each knew that it was something stunning, gorgeous, and official. They wanted me to see it. I saw it. They wanted to make an impression. They made it. We traveled through the garage and into the house, walked through a living room, dining room, and kitchen, and out a back door to a tarmac and a regulation-sized court with rims and netted hoops. A short walk down, and we would be standing on a dock, anchored but floating in the river. I couldn't front. I guess a man could have a small, modest, unimpressive house if he also had a lineup of dope cars and a basketball court and a dock and a rowboat and a view of the New York City skyline. I liked that they left me out there alone. I came out my jeans, had my sweats on beneath them, even though it was spring warm. I had known that Coach Vega might make me do some drills solo or run a crazy amount of suicides, a hundred or so layups, and then tell me to take it back to the line and not leave until I hit 50, all net. So I was ready. So what's the score? Alistair came out back to the court and asked me. Now he was out of his clothes and into his sweats. Who's winning in the game of you versus you, he asked. I guess he took it for a joke. I didn't. It's your court. You want to run one? Looks like you do, I said. Slow down, Junior, he said to me. I threw the ball to him, and he caught it. Let's go, I said. He put his right hand up and placed his left hand horizontally over it. Time out, he said. How can you call time out? We just getting started, I asked him. Okay, look. It's my partner who's big on you. I'm not. Like you said, I don't even know you like that. But how we get down is that he, if he wants to rock with you, I got to put my stamp on it and vice versa. So just ease up. Like you said, you in the junior leagues. We in the major leagues. The big boys, understand? He was giving me a stare like he thought he was dominant. Santiago came through the back door. Alistair softened his stance and switched topics. You call yourself a businessman, so what line of business are you in, he asked. Vending machines, I said. 
You mean like bubblegum balls and plastic toys and rings tucked inside those little kid plastic cases for a penny or a nickel or a quarter, he asked, talking down to me. I'm into the buying, selling, and placement of the machines. The product is up to whatever the purchaser wants to use it for, I told him. Is that right, he said, looking like he was thinking. If you're done with your game and have made your decision, let's go grab something to eat, Santiago suggested. After that, I gotta bounce back to Brooklyn. I, me too, I agreed. The steakhouse that we're going to requires all men to wear a suit jacket. Is that a problem for you? Santiago asked me. No, except I don't have one with me, I said. Coach Vega don't require that, I added. Sharp tongue, Alistair said. I didn't say nothing back. I thought he was crazy, changing into his sweats and coming out here like he was going to challenge me and then backing down. Now he was game to jump right out of those sweats he'd just put on and into the suit jacket. I was thinking, yeah, whatever, man. We got you covered, Santiago said, as Alistair led us back inside. A hideout for superheroes or some shit like that, I was thinking. This guy had one bedroom filled with dinner jackets, suits, and new dress shirts, and packaged Hanes boxers, and a lineup of top-shelf men's shoes. I didn't see no women in here. If there was a woman, she would have offered me a glass of water or something. More than that, I didn't see no family photos or feminine touches. Another hard decision, huh? Alistair said, as I stood looking at the suit jacket selections. I seen this cat was just gonna keep pushing. Nah, I just usually have my women lay out my clothes for me. I see you don't have no women, I said extra calmly. You talk a lot of shit for a young nigga out with some real dudes. You carrying a basketball. I'm holding much more. Better wise up, he said. I was thinking the same thing about you. And you don't know what I'm carrying. You better watch out. I warned him. That was a courtesy. I gave him out of respect for his partner, Santiago. Dude approached slowly. Then swiftly tried to sucker punch me. I caught his fist and used it to twist his arm. When he bent forward, I uppercut him in his eye. Then I pushed him into the row of new dinner jackets. Don't flash your weapon if you ain't ready to fire it. Don't threaten me with your gun if you don't have it on you right then and there. Don't suit up for a game if you ain't up for a challenge. That's hood 101. You ain't no Brooklyn dude, I told him. Santiago laughed. He had crept in quietly. He was dressed up and ready to go. I told you to stop fucking with him, Santiago said to his partner. We on the same team, Santiago reminded him. He got it coming, Alistair said, straightening himself and embarrassed. Put it on hold. It's time for dinner. I'm hungry. Let's eat. In the River Palm Terrace restaurant, we each 
ordered steaks. The filet mignon was tender, even though mine was well done. Alistair was still steaming, stabbing his steak with his fork and pressing down hard on his knife and ramming the bloodied steak down his throat when maybe he should have laid the whole thing across his black eye. He must have felt like a sucker sitting in a dimmed VIP-only restaurant, even though he drove up alone in his Ferrari and had the valet in awe dancing around, serving him and kissing his ass while he was wearing sunglasses indoors while eating and looking like an ass. He had to wear them. His black eye was swelling. I was eating comfortably. We all had our guns. That's the way I like it. It evened out everything. When a man is among armed men unarmed, that's when shit gets deadly. That's when armed cowards start feeling themselves and posing and posturing. The fact that there's one unarmed man in the mix makes armed cowards feel powerful. Besides, this guy had said he was Santiago's partner, which had made me think they were 50-50 in business. Santiago had described him only as his man, but I could sense that Santiago was also Alistair's boss. True, Alistair was pushing the Lamborghini and now the Ferrari, but Santiago had tossed me the keys to his Maserati and said, it's yours anyway. What did that mean? And maybe he had recently tossed the keys to his man Alistair also. And the jerk was just fronting like the lineup of elites were his whips while Santiago was the true owner. I was thinking, when we first arrived at the spot, Santiago had remarked that he wasn't trying to kill Alistair because he needed him to run the business. Now I was confirmed in my mind. Alistair was just a manager. Like Vega, he was running some exotic car business for Santiago, same as Vega was running the team that Santiago owned. So now I got it. The Riverside Ranch was Santiago's too. He had to be the actual owner. Why would any man allow himself to get punched in the face at his own house like Alistair did? And then that same man sits down to eat dinner with the one who clocked him. <laughs> nah. We were in the Maserati, Santiago and I. Out of nowhere, he started laughing like he was caught up in a comical memory. I didn't say nothing. Let him have his moment. Did you really tell Alistair that he don't have no women? He asked me, recovering from his laughter. I ain't seen none, was all I said. <laughs> You must be a ladies' man, Santiago said. I like that. I love the ladies, too. In a brownstone building that looked like a residential home, we entered a Cuban restaurant named Azucar. I wasn't hungry. He couldn't be hungry, either. We both just ate. An older Cuban woman greeted us at the entrance and interacted with Santiago like they were real familiar. We walked through the restaurant, which was almost full, with talkative diners speaking in low tones. We were led behind a red velvet curtain and then through a door. An attractive young woman removed his jacket and then mine. 
I tightened at first, at her touch. Santiago smiled at that. I noticed he seemed to be observing every detail about me. She guided us up a few winding stairs, our eyes following behind her bouncing butt to a second level where we were met by another young Latina woman who flipped open a box. He reached in and chose a couple of Monte Cristo cigars, ran them under his nose for the scent. She guided us to a room of expensive chairs and the aroma of cigars. The scent reminded me of my father. He was not an everyday smoker, but he enjoyed a cigar every now and then in the smokehouse on our Sudan estate, especially when he was receiving guests or holding important business meetings. We sat. The young woman ran and carried back a footstool. Santiago lifted his feet and placed them onto the red carpeted top. He clipped the cigar at the bottom and handed me one and the clipper. I clipped mine. A pair of breasts appeared before me because that's all I could see. She leaned in and lit my cigar as another woman lit his. We puffed. It was my first cigar. I smoked it, imagining my father seated across from me, smoking his. The first puff had a kick to it, and I muffled back a cough, but I liked the scent of the smoke. I would do it, just like my father, not take it for a habit, just on occasion or from time to time. After a while, when his marble ashtray was filled and his cigar was shortened in a hot Shortened and hot, Santiago pulled his feet down and leaned forward. He reached into his jacket pocket and pulled out a black envelope made from expensive paper. It was quality stationery, the kind my first wife might select to use. This belongs to you, he said. I didn't reach for it. I placed my cigar on my tray. I still had a long way to go to finish it, unlike the expert seated across from me. Pick it up, he said. I looked to my left and then my right. The way our chairs were positioned, we were in a private space. The lady and the other set of breasts were serving other customers. There were six other men in the room, all engaged in their own private talks. Two of them were into a quiet chess game. With my washcloth, I eased the envelope my way and held it between the cloth without placing my prints. Santiago had one finger on his jaw and one on his forehead. He's watching me discreetly. Inside was a thick stack of crisp and clean hundreds. I looked at him. That's 10,000, he said. The other 15 is in my glove compartment. That's yours too, he told me. Then he waited for my reaction. Nah, this can't be mine, I said. Wish it was, but I missed too many games already. And the most valuable player won't be chosen until after the playoffs. I pushed the envelope back to his side of the table. I placed a wager on that game you played. The night that you closed your eyes and took the winning shot. It was a huge wager. I bet on you. I just had a feeling in my gut from the first time we met. I don't get that feeling often, but when I do, I listen to it. I got that feeling once 
when I was about to make a run, I had some money at stake on that run. I knew it was better to get it right then. If I waited, it could have slipped out of my reach because of that feeling in my gut. I didn't chase that paper that night that was owed to me. I let it go. That shit burned. Next day, I found out all the parties to that transaction got clapped up. That gut feeling saved my life, even though I lost some money on the transaction. The second time I caught that feeling was the first time I saw my wife. I made it happen because of that feeling in my gut. Now, she's my wife and the mother of my daughters. The third time I caught that feeling in my gut was when I met you. Don't get me wrong. I handpicked the black team. Love my squad. But you, you stand out. You got that fire in your heart and a good head on your shoulders. You don't run your mouth and you don't seek attention. You're mean with that basketball and calm with your teammates. A quiet leader. I see big things for you in the future. If I recall, I only scored two points in that game. It was my worst performance for the whole stretch of the junior league, I said, and I meant it. That's where you're wrong. I watched the game. You fed your teammates without worrying about yourself. You set up the right plays and the right picks. You rebounded, played the whole game beautifully, and when the heat was up to its hottest point, and you had successfully misled your opponents to believe that you were not the man to watch, they left you open. You stepped out of the shadows, closed your eyes, and sank it. Crazy. Couldn't have been better. He leaned back. I went into that wager with all the liquid cash I had on hand that night. The rest of my capital was all tied up in other ventures. Damn near all or nothing. You weren't the high score. But you... You were the man. Timing is everything. Knowing when to lay low and when to come up, when to step out of the light and when to come out of the shadows. Perfect. He held his hands together like a clap. He leaned forward. I came up so big. It gave me the liquid capital that propelled me to the next level in my business. The 25 I'm giving you, you earned it. But because I see that you're into honesty and I like that, I'm going to let you know that 25000 is not even one hundredth the amount I earned off of you. He gave me a serious stare so I would believe him. Cigars, the breasts were back to refresh our smoke. We're good for now, Santiago said. She was smiling widely. He pulled out his wallet and folded a clean 100 once and slid it between her coconut-sized titties. She wiggled them, set a string of glaciases, and asked if she could get him a drink or anything else. He ordered a glass of Louis XIII. She left. I was sitting, calculating. 100 times 25,000. I was moving the commas over on the numbers. One mistake with a comma or a zero and my answer would be all wrong. I calculated it three times in my head. That's 2,500,000. My eyes widened.
I calculated it one more time. That's the minimum amount he earned on the bet that he won based on the shot that I made. On top of that, he had the balls to tell me calmly that he was paying, that what he was paying out to me wasn't even 1% of his prize. I leaned back. Some minutes slipped by. You said you are a businessman, right? Santiago said impatiently. It wasn't a question, I know. Leaning forward again, he checked his Rolex, letting me know we were running out of time. Still, I paused for a minute or so, then said, True, I made the shot, but I didn't make the wager. You did. I don't know nobody who could wager those kind of numbers or who could afford to lose that amount if their gut feeling turned out to be wrong. That means that all of the winnings are yours, not mine. You went all in with the money that you earned. I didn't help you earn a penny of it. Winner take all, as they say. So, you take all of it. But thank you. Word, I added sincerely. How much are those vending machines you're selling? $1,500 each, I said, thinking of the model I purchased, not the discounted $700 horsey ride. But since we're being honest, I pocket $500 off of each sale, I confided. Give me 17 of those at $1,500 each, he said. I'll put them in my stores. I was calculating 17 machines times $1,500 each equals $25,500. Damn, he was swift with his numbers and figured out 17 machines would get the deed done. He was determined to place $25,000 in my hand either way. Now he'd made me a straight up business proposition, not a charitable donation or a gift or a questionable payoff, all of which I could never accept. You're a young businessman, not a young fool, right, son? He asked me with an even more serious look. You either take the 25 I'm handing you as your earnings on the amazing shot you pulled off, or you sell me 17 machines for 25,000. You drop the extra 500 since I'm buying so many, and you pocket $12,000 profit since you'll have to pay for the machines. And you don't want to take 25,000 no strings attached free dollars. He stood up. Because he stood, I stood. He checked his Rolex again. You got 25 seconds. Each second is worth $1,000. Go, he said. Deal, I said, in less than a second. You ordered 17 machines at a cost of $25,000 total, a $500 discount. I pocket $12,000, I said. He smiled. Now, you and I are in business. He extended his hand to me. It's a clean sale. Once the machines are delivered to you, our deal is done. No strings attached. I don't owe you. You don't owe me. Nothing, I said. His smile evaporated. Deal, he said. After tonight, I don't owe you nothing. You don't owe me nothing. 
he confirmed with a serious expression mixed with a disappointed, angry, and almost sad look. I'll come play for the team. That's a separate matter, though. Treat me like every other player. If I miss one more game, I disqualify myself from the possibility of earning the most valuable player purse, I said. I'll be at every practice in every game, barring an emergency. He smiled brightly, and it seems his smile made the ladies who were all looking in our direction since we had stood up happy too. We gave each other a pound on it. You drive. I had a couple of drinks, Santiago said, throwing me the keys. It was a test. I knew. I opened the driver's side door. He got in the back. If the cops pull us over, which I doubt, not twice in one day, we'll say I'm sick and you're driving me to the emergency room. If that don't work, we'll press some paper in his palms. He reclined and closed his eyes. I was thinking this cat either believed or knew for sure that money straightens out all matters. I hope so. We were on River Road in Edgewater, New Jersey. I didn't think his arms reached all the way across the George Washington Bridge or through the Lincoln Tunnel, same as they reached across the Brooklyn Bridge to Uptown Manhattan. Sitting in the driver's seat in his Maserati, which my shot probably paid for, I was thinking about my father and how he used to challenge me, just like how I was being challenged right then by this man. In both cases, they were men who were much older than me, placing me in an unreasonable situation and challenging me to work my way through it and come out clean. I knew Santiago was not drunk and that his one drink was not strong. Even if it was strong, it still wouldn't matter because he only sipped it for show. He watched me. I watched him. I accept the challenge from him, same as I accepted the challenges handed down by my father. In both cases, they were not challenges to be turned down or avoided. They were tasks, all about manhood, and of course, they involved risks. I'm about to turn the ignition, inshallah, was the most I could feel or think at the moment.